Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a quick canoe ride across the Harpeth River from me, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Got an action-packed show. I'm excited, man. There was, surprisingly, uh, some good football on this past weekend. Uh, most of it while the sun was up. But uh, nonetheless, looking for a good show. Uh, we're going to be licking our wounds over at Hillwood. Uh, we can't look them for too long because the number one team in the state comes to visit. That's the Beach Buccaneers. So we got a good game plan for them, and uh, hopefully we are ready. And they rock the old uh, Buccaneer Cream School unis, too. Oh, yeah. Well, it would be remiss if we didn't introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who is very glad he didn't pony up his own hard earned money to go to Ryan Field and Evanston on Saturday. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Shut up. <laughs> 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 oh man all i could do is hack up a lung about that game yeah. are we talking about it later in the show too we, we oh, are talking about it well like, very briefly very briefly um we'll be getting to all the action uh from this past weekend uh here uh momentarily uh but first uh we're just going to do a quick uh, recap of our picks from this past week uh gentlemen for the first time all season i have schooled you um, we all, uh, got the West Virginia Baylor game wrong. We were all on the West Virginia minus nine and a half. Baylor kept it close, only lost by two points. But outside of that, I went four and one. You guys both went two and three. Um, I was on the right side of North Texas at FAU and Arizona at Cal. Uh, and we all got the, uh, UMass covering the seven points against Georgia Southern at home to get them off the schneid and TCU covering the 39 against Kansas. So uh, Kansas football, uh, their combined score over the last two weeks, uh, 88 to nothing. So uh, David Beatty, I think you might need to uh, polish up your resume. Mm. I mean, what is there to polish up? I mean, I I don't know. He can go back to being like a grad assistant or whatever he was before he took this head job. I guess so. Like some people just aren't meant to cut it the – North Texas coach who they hired from high school went back to, to high school. Like, just he, could always, he could always definitely go back to high school, that's for sure. Um, but uh, anyway, wanted to uh, – actually, before we really got rolling, wanted to follow up on a, uh, one of my quick slants. The, uh, the coach at David Crockett High School, who was the third coach in the span of about a week, uh, he played uh, the, the new coach – the newest coach, I should say, um, played in his first game. He is His coaching career will begin at 0-1. He lost 28-21 to Daniel Boone in the Musket Bowl. So um, their new coach will be starting his career at 0-1, which uh, 28-21 is not bad considering that he described his experience as the get-back coach and bus driver. 
yeah, well, you know, it's uh, you know good for him for not being completely <laughs> shellacked on their first week out. So, well, that was one of your quick slants from last show. Let's get into our quick slants for this show. Uh, Josh, uh, you're up first. So I have a non-football slant whatsoever. I have a story that I wanted to share with the two of you and <clears throat> our listeners. Uh, it begs the question, what the hell is going on in the state of Indiana in terms of their restaurant choices? Uh, so after work on Friday, I made a quick errand uh, down to a party city just across state lines. Uh, my school is in the south part of Chicago. It's almost in Indiana. And so I crossed the state line. I'm driving to the party city. I passed my first of not one, but two drive-through shrimp restaurants. And the first one was called Shrimp Express. And unless I misread the sign, I swear the sign said, you know, where most fast food places have all their specials, it said the only Shrimp Express in the United States. And I'm thinking, does that mean all of the other ones closed? Or is that supposed to entice me based on being <laughs> But I'm sorry, good people of Indiana. I wouldn't do drive through shrimp in a state that borders water let alone Indiana. I was going to say, drive-through shrimp is seems like the kind of thing you would get in Louisiana, but <laughs> not Florida, in maybe? Indiana. <laughs> also, Josh, we ha- I have to know now, what were you getting at Party City? So uh, I'm a big Halloween person, and I needed, uh, needed a little bit of Halloween accoutrement. And then also on Saturday, I went to... Uh, a masquerade ball. Ooh la la. And I'm not really the type of person that wants to wear a Venetian mask, so I asked the host of it if it was all right for me to go in something a little bit more my style, and they said that was all right. So I uh, picked up uh, Groucho Marx glasses and a mustache. I mean, that is one way to obscure your face. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, man, that that's good stuff. Uh, Coach, what you got for your slam? Well, my slant um, involves it's it's about that time of the year where uh, coaches will either start getting fired or we start talking, we start cranking up the hot seat discussion. Um, and just wanted to uh, let you know that uh, Gary Anderson is not the only one who has left or been fired. Uh, Georgia Southern decided after a uh, nail biting fifty five to twenty loss to UMass, who was also previously unbeaten. Uh, they decided to part ways. You mean with, you mean winless, not unbeaten. Yes, winless. Un, yeah, yeah. Unvictorious. Unvictorious. Yes, there you go. Previously winless, UMass. Again, in a nail biter, fifty-five to twenty. Um, I get so used to saying previously unbeaten that it just it just it just happened. But Georgia Southern decided to part ways with head coach Tyson Summers. Uh, Tyson Summers will uh, will be polishing his resume um, here pretty soon. He'll probably go back and join Bobo's staff um, in some capacity. But um, Chad Lunsford is the interim head coach, so um, we'll be taking a look in our uh, Black Monday pod, um, which coaches will likely end up where and who's going to fill these jobs. I'm sure Georgia Southern is going to be really high on our totem pole uh, for uh, – for the openings, but I just wanted to pass that along. And I wanted to pose this question to y'all. Okay. Uh, 
in the Southeastern Conference, you have five potential hot seat schools. All right, six if you really want to if you really want to look at our preseason uh, unanimous hot hot seat selection. So Texas A and M, Arkansas, Tennessee, um, Florida, Florida, and Auburn. I guess that's five. Who am I leaving? Do you out? really think Malzahn's on the hot seat though? I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't think, think he's on the hot seat. Like, I, I mean, what, they're, they're five and two. Like, it's a perpetual warm seat. It's like Les Miles at LSU. It'll just take a season where everything falls apart for them to cut. Bait. But yeah, everything so. is not falling apart right now for them. I Agreed. would. Say, I, I would. I would say that. Um, I mean, obviously, with the situation. I mean, you know, Ole Miss is already on an interim head coach. Yeah, so, they, they don't they don't count. I'm not counting and them on a hot seat. Barry Odom as well. Like, oh, I mean, Barry I think that, that's a hot seat. Yeah, that's got to be a hot seat because there's I mean, no reason. I would say that's much hotter than Melzahn. Yeah. I, I think Bielema's buyout is cost prohibitive. Uh, no, actually, there was a report out today that a lot of people thought it was gonna, it was over $10 million. It's only $6 million, um, which is uh, much lower than most people were anticipating. I, I read it on... Um, uh, Bleacher Report this morning that his uh, his buyout is only uh, six million dollars. So, so um, he don't. So I, I think it's you know I think it's more than more likely than not that he is gone at the end of the season mm. unless Arkansas makes some sort of miraculous turnaround. But Co- coach, you and I were talking earlier today that um, you know you think that Melzahn actually would be keen to head to Arkansas if that job opens up. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that he would. Um, I don't know why he would, but he's from the state of Arkansas. He coached high school in the state of Arkansas. Um, so he's got some natural ties to that state. Um, if they offered him a good money package, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it wouldn't shock me, but I don't know why he would. He's in, such a, he's in a much better situation at Auburn. Maybe it's – Maybe with, with him being an Arkansas guy, uh, I mean, state of Arkansas guy, not necessarily, I'm not necessarily talking about him being a Razorback guy, but um, they might be a little more keen to be patient with him because they know what he can do. I, I don't know. There's a whole lot of variables in that situation, and it's still only just a rumor. So, um, But wouldn't shock me. But then again, I would be scratching my head trying to figure out why he did it, but it, it definitely wouldn't surprised me as much as some some other moves but I think I think right now Tennessee is the hottest seat because they have the highest expectations um, out of all these schools that are legitimately have hot seats as far it's as probably the hottest seat in the country yeah and you know Florida could could uh, if Florida takes one on the chin against Georgia this weekend that seat be, could become really hot um, and that would that would hinder uh, that would really put a wrench into the Scott Frost sweepstakes. And uh, I'll tell you one thing. I do not want Scott Frost going to Florida. I hope Scott Frost goes to Nebraska. Um, Get him I'm out ho- of the SEC. I hope he goes to Georgia Southern. <laughs> I don't want to see him at Nebraska at all. Um, no, that, that would be, be as someone who roots for a team in the Big Ten West – that would be bad news for us. Yes. But, right. uh, yeah, I, I would, to answer my question, I would have to say Tennessee is the hottest seat. I think Butch will be um, – they'll probably all go at the same time, but 
Uh, I think right now Butch is probably the hottest. And if something happens this week against, I think they play Kentucky, uh, then then you might see them make a move. So, all right. Well, I'm going to do a quick rundown of three Ivy League games. And I'm starting on Friday night uh, where Princeton absolutely blew the doors off of Harvard, uh, 52-17 to 17 in Cambridge. It was a huge night for a quarterback-wide receiver duo of Chad Knopf and Jesper Horstead. Knopf was 31 for 35 for 421 yards and two scores. Both of his TDs went to Horstead, who had a day himself. Uh, The Ivy League's top receiver, Horstead, caught 13 balls for 246 yards and those two scores. This was the Tigers' third consecutive game where they put up 50 points, and they are coming on strong after an early season loss in the league. Penn dropped their third consecutive league game at home on Saturday. This time, it was a 24-19 contest to Yale. It was another great performance for Bulldog tailback Zane Dudek, who went over 100 yards on only 12 carries to go along with a touchdown. Penn was up 19-18 to with nine minutes left in the game, but Yale quarterback Kurt Rawlings rallied the team back, going the length of the field in about five minutes, capping it off with a four-yard pass to Christopher Williams-Lopez. Uh, Yale now 2-1 in the league. Penn 0-3 in the league. The preseason favorite has really fallen. But the big game this weekend obviously was in Hanover. And Dartmouth's amazing season of comebacks fell just short on Saturday, uh, losing to Columbia 20 20- Two to seventeen. The Big Green got in a big hole again. This time, down twenty-two to seven in the fourth quarter. But they scored twice in the fourth and had the ball on the Columbia seven with seventeen seconds left. But quarterback Jack Hennigan was sacked, and without any timeouts left, they weren't able to spike the ball or get another play off. Everyone in the stadium absolutely felt like the Big Green were going to be able to pull off another ridiculous comeback, come from behind victory. But alas, it was not meant to be. The Big Green had a tough time slowing down line quarterback Andrus Hill, who had 298 yards and a score through the air. Uh, Hannigan, though, for Dartmouth, was very good in the loss. He had 331 yards himself to go along with the touchdown. But the Lions did end up prevailing. And so about halfway through the season, Columbia is alone atop the Ivy, a sentence that I think uh, no one ever anticipated saying at any point in this season or in the last 50 years of Columbia football. Um, they are 3-0 in the Ivy. Right behind them, one game back, is a three-way tie between Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. And, sorry, four-way tie, Dartmouth, Yale, Princeton, and Cornell. Um, after them, Harvard is two back. Uh, Brown and Penn at the bottom of the league table, both winless in the H and 8 What a season, gentlemen. This is... You know, not at all as we were expecting the Ivy League to shake out. But, you know, like they always say, that's why you play the game. So, Matt, how much swag has Marcellus Wiley hooked you up with to talk about the Ivy? Dude, Marcellus and I are tight, man. I mean, we go way back to his days on the Bills when I was living in Western New York. You know, I mean, you know, we've been, you know, we talk weekly ever, ever since. Um, you know, Matt, I, you know, I was a frequent guest on Max and Marcellus, so you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, I just, I love the fact that Marcellus is so supportive of our show these days. <laughs> so, uh, before I get into our deep roots, uh, time for a little pop quiz gentlemen. So I saw, uh, you know, this weekend going back through the games, uh, that Alabama held their sixth opponent on, on the year to, uh, under 10 points, which I thought was, you know, pretty amazing. And so I went back and looked, 
And since 2000, so in cumulative games since 2000, there have been 22 teams that have given up 10 points or less at least 50 times. So there are 22 teams in college football since 2000 that have, uh, you know, that have held teams to 10 or fewer points 50 times. So, gentlemen, name those 22 teams, and starting with you, Josh. 22 teams since 2000 that have done 10 points or less point per game? Yeah, that have given up 10 points or less in a game 50 times. 10 points per game. 50 times, what does that mean? Oh no no it's not it's not a per game thing. So uh for instance uh this weekend Oh Alabama, so, so their defense isn't averaging. It's not averaging. They, the defense has held their opponents to 10 points or less 50 times. Okay. So Alabama's the one you're spotting us. Yes. Okay. okay. I'm spotting you Alabama. Alabama is number 1. They've done it 99 times since the beginning All of right. 2000. Yeah, you should ask this question in a way more confusing fashion because I wrote down ten points per game. No, I, I specifically uh, said not, I just did, did not say <laughs> per game in that. So. All right, all right. I think I know. Uh, so they've done it ten. They've held their, They've held. They've had fifty games, basically. What you're saying in the last seventeen years. Uh huh. In which okay. opponents have scored ten points or less. All right. Uh, I would go with TOSU. The Ohio State University is number two on the list. They've done it 78 times. Ooh. I'm going to have to say LSU. LSU, number five, with 75. Mm. <clears throat> nice. Let's see. Let's see. I'm going to say, uh, despite playing in a high-scoring conference, that Pete Carroll's USC teams would have done it quite a few times. I'll go with the men of Troy. Uh, the Trojans are on this list. They're number 19. They've done it 53 times. All right. <clears throat> Skin of the teeth there. <laughs> I'm about to say Oklahoma. Oklahoma is number eight. They've done it 61 times. Nice. Hmm. God, uh, D'Antonio and Narduzzi, they had quite a good defense there for a while. I'm going to say Sparty sneaks in. Sorry, Sparty, not on the list. Oh, no. All right. Florida, the Florida Gators. That is correct. The number six, they've done it 70 times. Hmm. Hmm. Well, seems like there's a theme of a lot of SEC teams. So I'll say thanks to getting to play Vanderbilt every year, Georgia's done it. Georgia's number 16. They've done it 54 times. Is that is that kosher to steal a co-host's team? Uh, absolutely, you you got it you got it first. You did. I just didn't have much faith you, you in know. our defensive coordinators between the years of two thousand six <laughs> and two thousand ten. Oh, why do you think I'm not taking Iowa? It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, the criminals. Uh, the Knowles. Yes, they're number nine. They've done it sixty times. Nice. Hmm. Let's see. Uh. 2000 would have still included some really good Canes teams. Did they fall off enough? We'll go with Miami. The U, they're number 10. Uh, yes. they're, actually, they're actually tied with the Knowles at number 9 for 60. All right. Hmm. All right. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Wisconsin, number 11. They've done it 59 times. Is it kosher to steal another co-host team? <laughs> We're only missing one. Uh, I'm going to say thanks to playing 
in the Mountain West and uh, some of the other easier levels before joining the Big 12, that Gary Patterson's nasty TCU teams have done it. Great call. They're number three. They've done it 77 times. Yes. Great pull, Josh. Great pull. Uh, I'll tell you who it's not. It's not West Virginia. Uh, or- <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> um, uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to get a strike against me on this one, but I think it's going to be uh, Texas. Yes, Texas, number 15. They've done it 55 times. Oh, sweet. Uh, there's an elephant in the room that a lot of people – in the great state of Virginia are probably yelling about, and that would be Beamer Ball and Bud Foster. Yeah, they're tied for at number three with Texas Christian. They've done it 77 times. So you guys have now hit the top. Uh, You've hit five of the top six, uh, but you're missing, uh, you're missing another one in the top 10 and then probably about half of the bottom 12. Okay. We're getting there. We're getting there. You're getting there. You're getting there. Hold on your horses. I think it's on coach. Clemson. Clemson's correct. Number 12, done it 58 times. Uh, I'm going to use the same logic as TCU and go to the well of another really powerful program that got to play in an easier conference, and that is thanks to the WAC, the Mountain West, and the Smurf Turf, Boise. That was one of the other top 10 teams you were missing. Boise State's done it 63 times, landing them at number seven. Ooh. Let's see. I'm going to go back to the SEC here and say uh, I'm going to – God, I'm going to get a strike here. I know it, but I'm going to say uh, Auburn. Yes, Auburn. Number nice. They've done it. Just by the skin of their team, 51 times. I'm really, really tempted to go to the well for a third time. Next to play in the Mountain West, Utah has had some really good teams. Have the Utes done it? Utah did not make the cut. I'm sorry. No! Coach? Mm, Tennessee. No, sorry. That's your first strike. Damn it. Josh, you got two strikes. You got one more. Man, I was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for teams that I was thinking. There there are three more Big Ten teams that you guys haven't named. Mm. Four more Big Ten teams. You Four more, three more. Three more Big Ten teams you haven't named. Well, Um, then, uh, this feels like Penn State's always a safe team. Penn State, yep, number 13. They've done it 58 times. Thanks for that hit. Yeah, that's (laughs) what I'm here for. So we're still Michigan. Yes, Michigan. They've done it 54 times. They're tied with Georgia for 16th. All right. Oh, hell, I might as well be a homer. Let's go Iowa. You know it, Josh. We got all, th- we got all three of our teams in this one. Uh, Iowa has done it 53 times, tied with USC for 18th. Mm. So you guys have left, um, I believe, uh, one uh, – sorry – one Big Ten team, one SEC team, one Big 12 team, and one ACC team. Mm. Okay, ACC, I'm going to go with, God, hang on. 
not going to be Pitt. It's definitely not Pitt. Uh, it's not going to be. Um, it's either Georgia Tech or NC State. Uh, make a choice. NC State. <laughs> Incorrect. Well, that's a freebie. To no, it's not. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> All right. Well, this is so we've done Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, right? Correct. So, this is going to be a little bit of an oddball, but... Rutgers. <laughs> no, it's the defense holding them under 10, not the offense holding them under <laughs> um, So, it was kind of a running joke who Glenn Mason and some of the Minnesota coaches scheduled. They always scheduled really easy, but they would win like eight, nine games a year. So, they were always beating out those cupcakes pretty handily. I'm going to ride or die with the Gophers. Uh, the Gophers did schedule Charmin Soft, but unfortunately they are incorrect. Oh! Well, that that's three. I'm out. Well done, Coach. Coach for the win. For the win. All right. He only has one strike, and I've got three, so he's got... He's got two strikes. Oh. Well, this shows how much I've paid attention. What, what was my first strike? Didn't you... Uh, the the uh, NC State? Yeah, it was his first strike. Oh, I thought that was the second one for some reason. My bad. No. Well, then, no, Coach. No, that, that was my second one because I had Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. That's correct. Mm. Um, I'm going – all right, Big 12. I'm going to go uh, – let's see if I'm – I'm trying to think. Uh, let's see. It wouldn't happen to be – I might go SEC here. Uh, it wouldn't happen to be A&M, would it? No, sorry. The so the big uh, the Big Twelve school is Kansas State. Fuck, I was gonna say Oklahoma State. Uh, I'm gonna have to bleep that one out. <laughs> um, uh, the ACC school is Boston College. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Ten school is Nebraska. Oh, oh, come on, Big Ten adjacent. Big Ten. I, I, actually, the SEC, I don't remember if you guys actually said it was LSU. The coach said LSU. Did he say LSU? Okay. So I did say It was just those three left. That was my first guess. So, okay. Did we did we skip Notre Dame or was Notre Dame not in it? Not on the list. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, uh, glad we didn't say So, it. yeah, in order, Alabama, Ohio State, TCU, Virginia Tech, LSU, Florida, Boise State, Oklahoma, Florida State, Miami, Wisconsin, Clemson, Penn State, Nebraska, Texas, Georgia, Michigan, Iowa, USC, Auburn, Kansas State, Boston College. Nice. Oh, Auburn was the SEC team, you guys. I don't think you guys said Auburn. I said Auburn. Did you? Okay. Said Auburn. There, there you have it. Coach, you won this week, so – um, so, this is the first time. This is the first time that none of us know what the hell you we were doing. <laughs> I, I was trying to guess a team that I already guessed earlier. Yeah, good work, good work. All right, gentlemen. I was like, that's why I was confused. I was like, A and M. That really makes for a tough quiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's one in the SEC. So. Um, well, it's time for us to get to some deep roots, guys. So uh, we're going to start with uh, the group of five. We had sort of two, you know, two headlining games in the group of five this weekend. Uh, we'll start in Annapolis. Uh, UCF 31, Navy 21. Uh, Navy doing a, a good job holding UCF 20 points below their season average. Still, though, UCF is able to, um, you know, to take go uh, to win the game. 
relatively handily. Um, Adrian Killens, uh, you know, sophomore running back for uh, the Knights, ended up having his best game of the season. He had 122 yards and two scores. Um, you know, for uh, for Navy, Zach Aby got his typical 126 yards, but um, it was you know a, a little back and forth until the end where. Um, a, a long touchdown drive from UCF was able to sort of pull away from the middies at the end. Uh, Josh, were you able to catch any of this game at all? Uh, I caught a little bit of it now and then. And uh, really about the only takeaway I have is I wasn't ever sure that Navy was down by enough to warrant 14 passes. Yeah. I, think they, I think they're just airing out a little bit too much. I'd like to see that number in about the 7 to 10 range, not the uh, not the 10 to 15 range, personally. Yeah, Coach? Well, if this game, if this quote tells you anything about this game, um, they asked Scott Frost if he enjoyed seeing how his team reacted in the situation of being tested in a tight game. He said, quote, heck no, I lost a year of my life tonight. You need close games because you need to see how your kids experience those situations, but they're not fun. It was stressful. Um, but, yeah, they were, uh, you know, that quote kind of summed everything up for me. Um, I was like, Josh, I caught bits and pieces of this game because uh, I was flipping around a little bit. And, uh, you know, every time I every time I came back to this game, Navy had the ball. and um, But it uh, just kind of seemed like it was probably just perfect timing for, for me to come back over. But I kept seeing the score, and UCF was always on – always ahead. Every time I every time I flipped over, it felt like they were at least. But um, you know, Central Florida is you know for a team that was zero and eleven or zero and twelve two years ago, um, this team has done quite a turnaround. They're you know usually teams that are that bad don't know how to win games like this in year two of the new head coach. Um, usually they're still learning how to win these type of games, and you know that just goes to to the preparation and and speaks to the preparation that Scott Frost put into it and his staff put into it. I mean, if your head coach is is playing scout team quarterback, you know you know you're in good hands. Definitely, definitely. Well, I just you know, in, in terms of UCF and, and they're coming back from that terrible you know zero and twelve season in twenty fifteen. Uh, I think that it was just a byproduct of. Uh, of George O'Leary just being just a little, you know, a step slow. His age finally had caught up to him, I think. He he was a long-tenured coach at both Tech and, and UCF. But I think the cupboard was a little bit more full than people realized. I mean, they went 12-1 in 2013, won the Fiesta Bowl, 9-4 and four the following season, back-to-back conference titles. Uh, I, I think it was just – you know, he was the athletic director. He was, you know, stretched in a million directions while being someone in their late 60s. Um, I, I'm not sure, looking back on it, that we should be as surprised as we are. I mean, awesome job by Scott Frost, but, but I think we're doing the Knights and this program a little bit of disservice. It's not like... So you're saying the culture wasn't affected as much as we're making it out to be? I'm curious about that. That's kind of how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm turning, like, originally I thought that they had totally fallen apart, but, like, the, the more I'm trying to figure out how a team goes from oh, it was more, a few years ago to being this good. It could be more of an outlier of the 0-12 versus 
uh, versus a, a trim, but I don't know. That'd be interesting to look at. Yeah, because we, we just don't see teams do this without a better explanation. And yeah, I'm not trying to try move from the Fiesta Bowl going 0 and 12 is is on. Yeah. and I and I, you know, I'm I'm an optimistic person. I don't want to go Hugh Freeze on Scott Frost and just assume that they're cheating. No, I I, I have no reason to believe that they are. Um, I think you know what. I think one of the things that Scott Frost is really able to capitalize on is that UCF is the biggest school in the state of Florida. And, exactly. and he, you know, he's just, you know, and, you know, even it, after Miami, Florida and Florida state and, you know, some of the SEC and ACC schools come down and poach all the best kids. There's still plenty of, you know, plenty of talent in the state of Florida. There's and, plenty of talent in their backyard. They yeah. Exactly. So, you know, he doesn't have to go far to get talent. And um, obviously he's done a very good job of coaching up the talent that was there and that was recruited by O'Leary. So, um, elsewhere in the, uh, the group of five in the American, actually Memphis, huge comeback for them against, uh, the Houston Cougars. They were down big early. Uh, they were down 17, nothing at halftime. Um, and then, you know, at various points, you know, 31 to 14, uh, 38, 28, and end up coming back to win 42, 38, um, interesting stat line for, uh, their running back, Patrick Taylor, Jr., uh, 14 carries for 39 yards, but four touchdowns. So, uh, you know, Riley Ferguson is usually the story for the Tigers here. I mean, he had himself, you know, a ton of yards, 471 yards on 33 of 53 passing, uh, one touchdown, one pick. Um, But, you know, for the most part, Houston was actually able to – well, Houston was able to keep Anthony Miller out of the end zone. He still had 178 yards receiving. He's still one of the best receivers in the country, Uh, you know, Ed Oliver is still not 100% for Houston on defense, but man, he's still a force. He had a, he had six tackles, a sack, two and a half tackles for a loss. Um, so even you know 80% of Ed Oliver is still one of the best defensive players in the country. So uh, you know, Josh, were you uh, did, did you catch any of this one? I did, and I think this is one of those textbook hidden yards fundamentals game. Uh, Houston way better on third down. Outgained the Tigers. Way more balanced. 315 passing yards, 239 rushing yards. Memphis only had 30 rushing yards for the game. They dominated time of possession, had the ball for over 15 minutes more than the Tigers. How'd they lose? Well, three turnovers and lost the turnover margin by one. They had six more penalties for 62 more yards. And then the Cardinal sin sound in the kicking game. Uh, Tony Pollard, the dangerous returner for the Tigers, he ripped off a 93-yard kick return for a touchdown. The hidden yards, the hidden yards, Memphis dominated. Yeah, that that return was huge because you know coming out in, a, in the second half, Memphis got the ball first and they were able to score. And then they, you know, you figure you can get a score and a stop. You're really back in this one. Well, then you know what does um, you know. What, what does Houston do? They get the ball back and they go 13 plays for 80 yards in five and a half minutes and put the score back to a 17 point margin. You're thinking, if you're Memphis, you think, got to be thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do to stop these guys? Well, just put the ball in the hands of Tony Pollard because he caught it and he just took it to the house. Uh, that was a, a great return. Um, 
so Memphis, you know, getting back on the winning track after, um, you know, obviously, you know, they've won their last couple. Now they lost that game to UCF a couple weeks back, but um, they're going to have to face a two lane team next week that uh, gave our, um, they gave, you know, South Florida a, a pretty good battle this past week, coach. Um, anything from either this game or that uh, USF Tulane game? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this uh, this Memphis game, um, if, I'm, if I'm looking at it there, I mean, it was one of those where we were actually recording while this game was going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I, was, I was watching it, watching it, watching it. And it was like two crazy – Two crazy finishes um, with that and then the NFL game, the Raiders and Chiefs, and I was kind of going back and forth between it. And at one point I was like, man, Houston's going to run away with this. I'm just going to watch this NFL game. And so I just kept it on the NFL game, and then I, I woke up the next morning and saw the highlights of, of this Memphis game going, my God, I should have stuck with that. And uh, so I was like, dang, um, this is, you know, right. And then I looked at the stats, and Riley Ferguson threw for 471 yards. And it just – just being so clutch and, you know, just a team that is, is starting to really play that clutch role and, and really just starting to, you know, show that they are a top 25 worthy team and, and show that they can compete with the big boys and, and, and things like that. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm thoroughly impressed with this Memphis team and they've got some youth in, in some places. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're, I think, you know, Jay Norvell definitely has those guys on the right track, picking up right where Justin Fuente left off. So the only group of five game I wanted to touch on real quick uh, was a game that you previewed, Josh, last week. It was a matchup in the MAC pitting two teams that were undefeated in conference, Akron and Toledo. And Toledo, uh, led obviously by uh, Logan Woodside, uh, just blew the doors off of Akron, 48 to 21. Woodside, 304 yards, five scores through the air. I mean, uh, there's not a whole lot else to say except that, you know, Toledo, you know, really showed them who, you know, who the big dog in the Mac is, right? Definitely. And, you know, shout out to uh, Terry Swanson and his mates in the backfield. Toledo was incredibly balanced. You talked about Woodside's day. He also had over 300 rushing yards. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. You know, Toledo looking like the class of the MAC this season. Um, obviously, I think you know, eventually Western Michigan um, and Northern Illinois might have something to say about that. But you know, for the time being, I think Toledo is definitely the top dog. Let's head over. Uh, we'll actually stick it in the MAC real quick. Uh, the hard luck Eagles. Of oh gosh! My God, uh, they lost twenty to seventeen in overtime. They're on a five-game losing streak. Here are the scores for you: twenty-seven twenty to Ohio, twenty-four twenty at Kentucky, twenty to fifteen at that good Toledo team, at Army, twenty-eight twenty-seven in overtime, and twenty to seventeen in overtime. My God, Coach, how do you how do you keep your kids invested when? They're coming up ever so short. Your film sessions are ever so important, and making sure you are you've you've hired a good sunshine pumper. <laughs> well, uh, let's head over to the ACC. Uh, speaking of close games, Miami had another one. Um, they were able to beat Syracuse twenty-seven to nineteen. Uh, you know, in an, another close one. Syracuse looked like they still had a hangover from celebrating after Clemson there in the first half. Miami raced out to, uh, you know, 
an early lead and was able to hold on at, at the end. Uh, Josh, um, you know, our our man out there, Eric Dunge, did not quite look like his same self uh, down in Coral Gables as he does in the Carrier Dome. God, he was exhausted. Uh, I, yeah, I was about to say that, Coach. I mean, they had – yeah, they had a little bit of a hangover in the first half, but they got it going in the second half. Uh, like, it's weird. I don't really like Syracuse. It's mostly because I cannot stand Jim Beheim. But I got to say, this football team is – I love this team. I loved – Eric Dungy, he had a nightmare day with four interceptions. His receivers were failing to get open. They were dropping a lot of passes. He had 100 rushing yards that were earned. Like, he earned every inch yeah, he, got. he got. He got beat up by and, Miami's defense. And, I mean, I just, you know, it's weird to say that this was a, you know, a moral victory when we just saw them beat Clemson and we know that they're, capable of knocking off the cream of the crop. But, I mean, it's hard to get two upsets in a row, especially when you're on the road for the other one. So hats off to Syracuse. Love what Dungey's doing. Love what Dino Babers is doing. But also a little bit of a shout-out. Manny Diaz uh, kind of talked talked to Dungey after the game. A couple Miami players inexplicably were giving uh, Dungey a bunch of crap after the fourth down conversion fail that ended the game and, you know, Manny Diaz went over and, and basically apologized for his players and said that Dungy kind of kicked his defense's butt a little bit. Uh, so, you know, hats off to Manny Diaz, but also God, that Dungy kid's fun to watch. Oh, he's great. He's great. Uh, coach, you got any thoughts here on, uh, our Mark Rick squad? Yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, Again, the the freaking cardiac canes and uh, just kind of um, making things interesting. But you know, I, I just wanted I just wanted to speak mostly on on um, my impression of Syracuse and, and how impressed with them I was uh, coming into a a situation where okay, you're on the road now. It's the number eight team in the country. It, it was kind of a fluke that you got Clemson. You kind of caught them sleeping on a Friday night. You know, normally when they're uh, working through their pregame meetings in the hotel and getting ready for Saturday's game. Okay, all right, we'll see what they got. They'll probably come out and they'll probably get blown out. No, bull crap. Um, Syracuse is going to be for real. Um, they're kind of putting themselves – I know Syracuse is a really tough place to recruit. Yes. Because, because it's yes, it nine months out of the year. And um, because, I mean, you know. It's in the middle of nowhere. It is in the middle of nowhere. There's not a ton of talent in upstate New York. I mean, you know, you've got three decent-sized metropolitan areas in Syracuse, Rochester, and Buffalo. But, you know, you know, you know, football is not sport one, two, or three there. I mean, it's it's – a, it's lacrosse country. Let's face it. At, you know, the biggest sport there is lacrosse, probably followed by uh, basketball and baseball. So, I mean, yeah. you know, your your best athletes aren't really going to be aren't necessarily gravitating toward football. Plus, you you haven't had a tradition of winning in twenty years ever since you know Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison. Yeah, you know, really in those teams in the mid to late nineties. But, but if, if there's anybody that can do it, I think Dino Babers can do it if he'll just stick with it but he, I, I mean i hope he does i he feels like a very good match for uh for that team in that city and uh i think we need to get the uh, they're 
through Washington State East and Dino Babers is the new pirate, he's not going to get five-star kids. He's going to get the right kids for his system, and it's going to start winning a lot of games just like Leach did. It doesn't guarantee conference titles. It doesn't guarantee national titles, but it guarantees a whole hell of a lot more winning. And a lot of and a lot more relevancy. So yeah. I think we need to start the uh, Dungy for Heisman 2018 bandwagon now. Um, yeah. Uh, a year and a half in advance. Um, elsewhere in the ACC, uh, Florida State uh, losing again. This time <laughs> to Louisville. Uh, you know, James Blackman, you know, was okay, but still looking like a freshman. Uh, Lamar Jackson had just another uh, ho-hum Lamar Jackson game. Uh, 178 yards and a score on the ground. 156 yards and a score through the air. Uh, but Coach, I mean – is it possible that the Knolls are bowling streak, uh, the longest streak in the country might be over? I mean, it's, their schedule going forward is, I mean, they're at Boston College, you know, this week, which, you know, BC's been a whole lot better this season. Yeah, BC, BC's no joke, especially defensively. I mean, got Syracuse at Clemson. Um, they get Delaware State, so that's a win. Um, and then they're at Florida to end the season. Florida. And that's no longer a scary place to play. So, um, well, especially if you know, the only thing scary about it is they're wearing those freaking gator skin uniforms again. Then you have to revert your eyes. Yeah, or if there's a shark somewhere and uh, you see Jim McElwain stripping his clothes off, that's kind of scary. But, um, but uh, yeah, they're just so. I mean, I I, I read somewhere, or I've I've I'd heard somewhere that Jim. Jimbo Fisher was on the, the hot seat, and he he got into a confrontation with a fan on his way out uh, at halftime. And you know the, the the Seminole fans are starting to get restless, um, but you know they're so young. You lose your starting quarterback, and you get a few key injuries, and some, you lose a bunch of guys to the NFL. It's going to happen. You're going to struggle. I, I mean, I'm that not, team is so young. I mean, I feel yeah. like they're playing all freshmen and sophomores. Yeah, and and. I can't. I can't guarantee you that if Francois is healthy, that they do a, a ton better. Um, and I, you know the fact that they kept it close against a somebody as talented as Lamar Jackson, uh, I guess speaks highly of how you're developing this youth. I mean, they just got to hold on and hopefully survive and make a bowl and move on next year and, and be good. This, you know, this team is is a lot like. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like a first year team where a guy comes over and there's a, where a guy comes in, there's a lot of transition. There's a lot of guys that have transferred in and he's playing a lot of freshmen and sophomores and year two of the new coach. I know Jimbo's not a new coach, but it kind of has that new coach feel because it's like, I felt like it's a completely new team mm-hmm. um, full of completely different people with, with the exception of, of a few holdovers from the, quote previous staff i'm doing the air quotes now but um they just these Florida state fans need to realize that you know as as slimy and as you know as jimbo can seem at times he's actually a really good coach and he knows what he's doing he's very he's a great recruiter he's got the talent they just got to develop and Blackman has just got to get those live reps. He, he could be the guy, and he'll be a good quarterback in the future. He's just he's struggling because of youth, and he's just not used to it. And 
And I mean, he, he's a true freshman, and because yeah. they are so young, he's being asked to do a lot more than someone like a Jake Fromm is, who's also – Yeah, I mean, they, they – He's in a situation where he's able to hand off to, you know, you know, three outstanding running backs behind, you know, an experienced offensive line. Well, not Patrick and Cam Akers aren't exactly – No, uh, but, I mean, Cam Akers is a freshman – yeah. I mean, you know, and their offensive line is young. They don't have a lot of, you know, it's They're so not, inconsistent and it shows. And, you know, it's, it's not a, a line that's been together for a long time either. Uh, yeah. Josh, you got any thoughts here on this game? Yeah, I think you guys are being really kind to Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> uh, go, watch, go watch the uh, – uh, go watch the uh, – all, all you uh, faithful <laughs> listeners, go watch the highlights and watch what, watch what Lamar Jackson does on that one run where he breaks off three or four people. Well, his confrontation with the fan and then his quotes afterwards about how he's like, I'm looking at the hurt and watching our kids cry. So this is what coaches say at the end of their tenure when they're trying to elicit sympathy for keeping a job. Let's be honest. They don't know what they're doing. They have 28 passes. Cam Akers, just 16 carries. He averaged almost five yards a pop. You got to get him lathered up. You can't do that. And this is what's also going to hurt Jimbo Fisher. The attendance, just a little bit over 72,000. Joe Campbell, seats, almost 80. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you saw the, I don't, I don't know if you saw the, you know, the pictures of the, you know, at kickoff of that stadium. It was half full at kickoff. The, Maybe not. The student section was empty. The, the worm has turned. Um, they just they don't have it. They don't have it this year, and whether it's fair or not, Florida State is like LSU. Les Miles wasn't necessarily fair for him either, but you reach a tipping point in these, you know, blue chip jobs where your seat is perennially warm, and it just takes one or two bad seasons. I don't think Jimbo's there yet. I think his seat becomes red hot after this year, but I think he's okay right now. Well, um, elsewhere in the ACC, uh, Virginia finally fell back to earth, getting um, getting smacked down by BC of all teams. BC, I mean, they, they've been they they found an offense somehow. Um, you know, AJ Dillon, their 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 tailback has been running uh, running pretty well for them. He only had 89 yards this past week, but he'd been running very well. True freshman tailback, originally a Michigan commit actually, but ended up he's from Massachusetts, ended up going to Boston College. Um, he's been playing really well for them. Anthony Brown, though, their quarterback, has been playing excellent. He had three touchdowns in this game. Virginia, uh, just unable to stop them and then unable to move the ball on BC's defense. The other game uh, that I was actually watching very closely on Saturday night because it was only a close game on uh, was Wake Forest, uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, it wasn't one of our pick em games this past week, but uh, I had mentioned on our last show that I really liked Wake Forest in the spot against Georgia Tech, and they hung with them, you know, th- throughout the first three quarters. But Georgia Tech pulled away in the fourth. Uh, Georgia Tech up 25-24, heading into the fourth quarter, scores the last 13 points of the game, and – you know, uh, Taquan Marshall, uh, coach. I don't know if you how much of this game you saw, but Taquan Marshall, the quarterback there at Georgia Tech, uh, he looked mighty impressive running the triple option. I, I'm telling you, Paul Johnson, for the first time in his tenure at Georgia Tech, has found the perfect option quarterback for for what he wants, and yeah, he, that's I mean, Taquan he, he Marshall. Is a, he is an absolute perfect fit for them. He he does everything you want them to do. 
And, you know, he, he seems like a guy that uh, understands who he is as both a runner and a thrower and doesn't try to do too much. That's right. And so, um, you know, tough game for Wake Forest, tough loss for Wake Forest, but, you know. You know, I I say so many times that teams like Wake Forest and Syracuse and teams like that, they just – they don't know how to win those type games all the time. Like Wake Forest had several teams on the ropes, including Florida State, and they just couldn't finish them off. And that comes with time. But these are good confidence boosters for teams like that. Maybe – Maybe a page will turn, maybe not. They've just got to figure out how they can use that to their advantage in recruiting. Well, um, we're going to head to the Big 12 now. Uh, the big game of the conference this weekend uh, was Oklahoma State-Texas in Austin. Uh, you know, it was tied at the end of regulation, so they had to go to overtime. In overtime, Oklahoma State gets the ball first, kicks a field goal, and then Sam Ellinger makes one of the worst passes I have seen in my entire life. Um, a lollipop that's that's just going straight toward that just went straight to an Oklahoma State defender. I mean, there is no justification for that pass. I don't care if you're a true freshman. If you play the court pack position for five minutes, you know you either take it down, you just throw it out the back of the end zone. You, I, I don't even know what he was seeing, but this was uh, leading up to that point. Though this was an absolute slugfest, Coach. I know you were tuned in very much mm-hmm. to this one. I was. I really was. I, I I got I got going on it. And I just I was just locked in. I could not change the channel. Just would not change the channel because this game was so intriguing and just such a slugfest. And you know, Texas really. I keep saying this every week. They the, it's starting to become a trend now, where it was okay. Well, maybe they played up for for the Red River rivalry and whatnot. Okay. Well, they couldn't finish it. They're Texas. They're in a coaching change. They're trying to change over their culture from country club to a big physical team. All right. All right, I'll give you that. They have one physical game. All right, it's a rival game. Oklahoma State, nah, there's no way. You know, Oklahoma State will will, will do whatever they want to uh, with the Longhorns. And the Longhorns answered the bell. I, I was kind of surprised myself. Um, I thought it was a bit of a fluke. I thought there was some merit to it, but I thought it was a bit of a fluke for Texas. And I thought it would have been one of those games where Texas comes out first half, plays physical, competes, and then falls apart. Um, and Oklahoma State dismantles them. But uh, that wasn't true. Texas just kept pounding, just kept punishing Rudolph, kept punishing their run game, just kept hitting and hitting and hitting. They kept grinding and grinding and grinding. And they have it. They had a chance to win there at the end, and they, again, the, the same story. They just couldn't finish. And it was all – that game was personified, the fact that the little scoreboard on the bottom right hand of the screen said overtime, and Sam Ellinger on cue, lollipops that, inter, that inexplicable interception, which I was I – was, I was all ready to come on here and brag about Ellinger and brag about Texas. And I'll still brag about Texas's defense and just how hard they played and how physically played and uh, whatnot and, and how, how impressive that they actually are for, you know, for a loss. But Sam Ellinger kind of took the steam out of that a little bit for me. Uh, I don't know what he was doing. I guess I, 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 I'm not even going to try to explain it. I'll just – I'll just leave it at that was probably one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. But hats off to Texas. They played well. It will happen for you. I think Herman's going to do a tremendous job there. Uh, just not 
right now. Josh, it was a little bit of an interesting game plan from Oklahoma State. I mean, they ran the ball a lot more than they have previously. You saw Justice Hill get 33 carries. He had 117 yards, but they were tough yards. I mean, he only averaged three and a half a pop. But as a team, they ran the ball 51 times, which is not something we're accustomed to seeing out of a, you know, out of a poke team, especially coached by uh, the mullet, who has been known to air it out over the past couple of seasons. So did you see, you know, anything really notable in this game? Uh, no, because Big 12 football is not fun to watch. But I'm going to tell you what was fun to watch. And you didn't ask me about the Boston College game, Matt. No, I didn't. A little disappointed, so I just wanted to... Okay, yeah. Let's reel it on back. (laughs) Um, So, BC, in their bowl game, introduced a hurry-up offense. They're trying to get more plays in. They've been doing that this year pretty successfully, but have had turnovers kill them. We saw it all come together against Virginia. 71 plays run, zero turnovers. It dominated. And here's a little little bit of a nugget. I know since joining the ACC and playing every year at Florida State owns the series and has won seven straight. But since 2005, nine of these games have been two touchdowns or less games. BC hangs around. Florida State, uninterested, playing for nothing at this point. Don't really care. This is a game that means inexplicably a lot to BC. It's like they're trying to have it be a rivalry. Well, I mean, it's going back to the old Big East days. Yeah. I think the Eagles are in a really good position to knock off the Knolls on a Friday night in Chestnut Hill. Yeah, I mean, it's in Chestnut Hill. It's on a Friday night. Like you said, that's going to be that's gonna be fun. Uh, my only thought here on the Oklahoma State game, uh, one of the things that most – It was boring. Besides that, one thing that most impressed me about Texas was their ability to shut down James Washington, who, if you remember from our last show, I had him as my midseason Bolitnikoff winner. He only had four catches for 32 yards. I mean, he did not get loose at all. Elsewhere, though, in the Big 12 – TCU, like we mentioned earlier, um, no surprise, 43 nothing over Kansas. Uh, Kenny Trill, five touchdowns. Oklahoma struggled um, and ended up coming away with a late victory over Kansas State, 42-35. And that was without Jesse Ertz, the starting quarterback for Kansas State. But They're um, the Miami – Oklahoma is the Miami of the Big 12. Yeah. Well, uh, Alex Delton, though, he looks like he might be, um, you know, he's becoming more reliable each and every week. He's only a sophomore for them. So you're going to, you know, Bill Snyder is going to hope for big things in the future for them. Um, uh, You know, Lincoln Riley's squad, you know, a little bit, a little bit sloppy, two turnovers um, and, you know, not, not their best game, especially defensively. Um, they gave up, you know, 268 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. Alex Delton declining for three of those. Um, he also had a t- passing touchdown. So, uh, you know, K-State obviously don't believe in moral victories, but, you know, it, uh, keeping it close with Oklahoma was, uh, you know, a, a, sign, a you know, step in the right direction. Uh, West Virginia struggled with Baylor, but uh, basically Baylor had a huge comeback there in the fourth quarter, scoring 23 points. Um, after being down uh, 38-13 coming into the final frame. But 
you know, they, uh, West Virginia able to hold on for victory. But, Josh, uh, Iowa State, uh, they're ranked. They're ranked. They're ranked. They went into Lubbock. And we all know weird things happen in West Texas, but it wasn't a night game, and so maybe that's why. Uh, Iowa State thoroughly dominates Texas Tech 31-13. to um, You know, Nick Shimanek, only 207 yards through the air. I don't know what's happening. They ran the ball 41 times, but only got three yards of pop doing so. Uh, so, Josh, man, uh, I, are we going to have to retire calling them the clowns? Uh, yeah, I mean, we have to, right? They're almost on the doorstep of a bowl game. They, uh, they have them and TCU are the only two teams in the entire league that are playing a lick of defense. Uh, I must say it's the most Iowa State thing ever to be in a position to host their first ever college game day, and it's unfortunately the same weekend as Penn State at Ohio State. So yeah. game day, not going to Ames. I hope, because I want Cyclone Nation to get to have a game day, I hope they win the next two games so that way when they host Oklahoma State on November 11th, they get to have college game day. That'd be freaking awesome. Uh, first place on the line when they host the Horned Frogs. Uh, let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's praise them for being vastly improved. Let's praise them for getting to Coach Campbell's first bowl game in Ames most likely. They just need one more win, and they have five cracks at it. And one well, of those I mean, cracks comes against Baylor. Yep. But, you know, besides that, though, they do have TCU, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State as the other four. So none yeah. of those are, you know, going to be easy no. wins by any stretch of the imagination. No, but, um, you know, their defense, like I said, playing – Really, really well, and let's give let's give some love to this linebacking group. Uh, Joel Lanning, quarterback last year, lost his starting job rather than transfer. Said he wanted to do anything he could to help his university. They put him at linebacker. He's gotten better each and every week. Fourteen tackles, seven of them solo. Got a quarterback free against Texas Tech. He's reading. The, deep, the uh, offense really well. I think sometimes being a quarterback might be a little bit of an advantage, which we didn't think about. And then another linebacker playing really well, uh, Willie Harvey, also had 14 tackles, eight of them solo, a tackle for loss. Uh, the Cyclone linebacking group is just playing lights out, and a lot of that has to do with some really, really intelligent players. Uh, and Joel Lanning, man, God, I, I wish there was like an Iron Man trophy, but there's so few players that ever – do double duty that they can't really have that, but he's been an incredible story. Absolutely. Well, let's head down to the Big Ten, the big game of the week, obviously, where game day was uh, in Happy Valley. Uh, Penn State just freaking blew the doors off of Michigan, 42-13. Uh, Trace McSorley had, uh, I think, his best game of the year so far. Saquon Barkley, another good one. Josh, uh, I know you were tuned in. I mean, <laughs> your your brother, your brother's alma mater is struggling. Yeah. Well, it was really funny. I was reading the Michigan message boards, and they're all crying, and they're like, your, your defense isn't good enough to run Don Brown's base defense. Um, I believe they have the number one defense. I'm into this game. Uh, Not anymore. Yeah. No. 
The problem is Don Brown's defense is insanely aggressive, and Penn State took advantage of that, and we saw it on that very first touchdown run. They did the direct snap, let everyone flow to where they thought the ball was going, and then the cutback lane was wide open until next Tuesday. Yeah, Saquon took it, what, 67 yards to the house, something like that? Yep, 69 yards. 69 yards to the Yeah. It it was crazy because (laughs) they lined up regular, and then right before the snap, uh, Barkley and McSorley just shifted over, and then it just became a direct snap. Coach, I know you like that so much that you want to incorporate that into your game plan. Yeah, I have it. You know, we were missing a few key pieces at practice today, so we really couldn't install that aspect of it. But um, because the freshman we had standing in today was, I was not really even going to waste my time trying to teach him that. But um, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be part of our wild dog package. Nice. Um, uh, We're not even the dogs, but since it was inspired by the wild dog, that's what we call it. But the wild um, toppers. The wild toppers. It's just too much (laughs) to say, I guess. but uh, I was just impressed with what Penn State was able to do and how consistent they were able to do it. And, and it just seemed like that sec- from, the, from the second play from scrimmage, it, just, it was just a beatdown of, you know, in all phases of the game. And, you know, just Penn State had control of it the whole way. They never relinquished it. It was just, just kind of like they were toying with them for a minute. And they just – anything they did – it's like King Midas. Anything you touch turned to gold, and that's kind of what happened with Penn State. It just their their offense is just so explosive. Yeah, and, uh, it's and the- it's so fun to watch. And I'm not a, I'm not a James Franklin fan by any stretch of the imagination. No, um, you know I have my opinions. I don't think about, any of us here on the show are. I, and I have my opinions about the kind of person that James Franklin is or appears to be. I don't know him personally, so I can't really. I can't really fairly say that he is that, definitively say he is that, but he just comes across that way. So um, regardless of that, he's putting a extremely exciting brand of football out there right now for, for Penn State. And Penn State, I, I don't know, I'm starting to kind of buy it. I'm starting to kind of see that they are legit. And I, I don't know, I'm going to have a hard time picking against them next week against well, Ohio State. Yeah, elsewhere in the Big Ten, uh, Wisconsin rolled over Maryland 38-13 um, after a couple early uh, ugly turnovers from Alex Hornerbrook. The Badgers righted themselves to uh, cover the spread with a field goal uh, with about 18 seconds left in the game. So for all those gamblers out there on the 24-and-a-half point spread, Badgers went by 25 because of the late field goal. Got to love that. Um the uh, Michigan State struggled early with Indiana, but uh, scored 14 points uh, in the fourth quarter to come up with a win. Uh, Josh, uh, I, th- I think you were watching this one a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, Indiana is kind of like Syracuse before beating Clemson. Like, you see it. You see that they're better. You see that Tom Allen's a good coach. And we're just waiting for them to finally crack through and get the winner's circle. Definitely, definitely. Well, it's, if they would just be sponsored, if they would just take sponsorship from one of those drive-through <laughs> uh, shrimp places, they might be okay. Welcome to Shrimp Express Stadium in downtown Bloomington. Oh, God. That'd be better than Kroger Stadium in Lexington. <laughs> I think the grocery bag. Um, Josh, we have to talk about it. I'm sorry. Um, overtime game between Northwestern and Iowa. Uh, 
just kind of a pathetic performance from your Hawkeyes. They're a joke. They are a joke. They have a turnover on downs on their first drive in field goal territory. Why are they going for it on fourth and five? Take the points. Then they miss a chip shot field goal. Six points left out on the field. A million drops. Uh, easily dropped two first downs. On second down and third down, he was wide open and dropped both of them. And in overtime, no offense. Dropped a fourth down conversion. But here's the problem. Uh, their coaches do not know the identity of this team. They are trying to run it all the time. Wadley, 26 carries. First of all, they said leading into the game that he needed to be way closer to like 15 to 18 and use their deep bench at running back. Well, he had 26 carries. They ran it 33 times. They swear they're a run team, and that's what Ferentz said in the postgame, that they just need to get the job done. Yo, Ferentz father and Ferentz son, you are 13th in the conference in rushing and 11th in total offense in the conference through seven games. That's a big enough sample size for us to determine y'all suck at running. Learn to do something else on offense. Yeah, and it's not like you're lacking for talent at quarterback or wide receiver. I mean, Stanley's a good quarterback. Vandenberg is a very solid wide receiver. Um, you know, I I, I don't I, – I can't pretend to understand the the game calling there. But, I mean, Northwestern has been Iowa's bugaboo for a while now, and that, that, that still does not make they sense. They freaking celebrate Iowa week. We are their biggest rival, and we treat the game – like we're yes. playing. It's it funny, Josh. You, you and I were actually texting about this on Saturday. How about how Hayden Fry would never let this happen? Yeah. Well, uh, just FYI, Kirk Ferentz in uh, road games after the bye week, now two and eight. And if you factor in bowl games as coming off a of bye week that are kind of road games, uh, we haven't won one of those since 2010. So uh, definitely the long breaks helping us tweak some new things and introduce some new wrinkles. And uh, I thought this was a great post. Um, I wish I had it on me. I just sort of remember what it was. I would try and give credit where credit's due, but a poster on the uh, SB Nation page, Blackheart Gold Pants, I think summed it up perfectly, saying, like, what does Brian Ferentz want his career to be? Because he's pretty young, and he's a power team offensive coordinator. But he's getting to work with his dad. And sure, football right now is a family business, but it is a business. The offense right now ain't going to get him the head coaching job in a few years, which is what everyone thinks it is. His coordinating skills right now ain't going to get him another offensive coordinatorship at a Power 5 school. Uh, He is running the exact same stuff all the time. I'm pretty sure he didn't learn that working for Bill Belichick. So he needs to look himself in the mirror and determine what he wants his career to be because sitting around winning six, seven, eight games for your old man, that's not going to work in a few years when Kurt's retired. Josh, I've got the perfect gig for him. He's going to be the next head coach of Kansas. I mean, and always Kansas. <laughs> no, speaking gonna, of Kansas. I'm going to apply for that job. 
Speaking of that, um, guys, don't look now. Rutgers has a winning streak in the Big Ten. They've won. They've won back to back games this week, beating Purdue fourteen to twelve. You win three in a row. That's called a winning streak. Um, they win fourteen to twelve. Uh, I don't. I don't know how this one happened. Uh, you know, not the greatest game from Purdue, especially lots of turnovers. Elijah Sindelar had two picks through the air. Um, David Blau uh, had had uh, had a touchdown, no picks, um, but it was just not. Not a very clean game from the Boilers. You know, we expected them to bounce back after losing close to Wisconsin last week. Um, the other game in the Big Ten this weekend was Minnesota uh, needing a fourth-quarter rally to beat Illinois uh, but in, in doing so. But uh, Minnesota still not you know, getting uh, P.J. Flex first Big Ten win, but not in terribly impressive fashion. So. No, but, uh, you know, the Rutgers game, you know, they found a way to win. Like you said, 2-2 two two in conference. That's better than Iowa, who's 1-3. But, you know, Purdue, I think they had such close games and with Louisville and Wisconsin. I think we put a little bit too much stock into them. Let's not forget, they're rebuilding as well. Rebuilding teams are going to be woefully inconsistent. And also, Matt, I mean – be honest, Wisconsin's the most physical team in the West and one of the two or three most physical teams in the conference might have been a little bit of Wisconsin kind of beating Purdue twice. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that, especially when it comes to, you know, um, especially when it comes to, if you think about Wisconsin's defense is a very physical defense and those linebackers hit, um, hit real hard. And their offense was just – in this game against Rutgers, they did not seem to have the timing that you need to run sort of Brahms system. No. And it felt like they were either, you know, uh, the timing between the quarterbacks and receivers wasn't quite there. Um, so, you know, um, but you no know, kudos to Chris Ash and kudos to uh, the Scarlet Knights. Back to back wins in uh, the Big Ten for the first time, I think, since they joined the league. Yeah, this just shows you Purdue still Purdue. You know, they're 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 not completely changed culture wise. You know, they still got a few of these type losses in them. So, well, let's head out to the Pac-12 in a, a I guess a half Pac-12 game was the other big game of the week taking place in South Bend, and Notre Dame ran over, around, and through the Trojans to the tune of 377 yards and mm. five scores. On the ground, led, of course, by Josh Adams, their tailback. He had 19 carries for 191 yards and three touchdowns. Brandon Wimbush, the quarterback, had another 106 yards and two scores on the ground and another two through the air. And they dominated USC in every single phase of the game. Um, It was, uh, you know... uh, USC, Sam Darnold threw a pick, had a fumble. Jack Jones had a fumble for them as well. You know, if it could have gone wrong, it went wrong for the Trojans. But uh, this USC team, though, I mean, they get down early, and they just can't seem to come back. So, um, you know, Josh, where does, you know, is the story here, is the story here Notre Dame or is the story here USC? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh 
I think it's more about Notre Dame because I think Notre Dame just confirmed all of our sneaking suspicions about USC. They were grossly overrated and didn't have a very good offensive line and had some fundamental issues. But that's why I think it's more impressive for Notre Dame. I mean, they had more rushing yards than USC had total yards. Yeah. That's impressive to do even if USC is overrated, even if USC is a borderline top 25 team, they're still power five team. And Notre Dame mollywopped them. And, I mean, with that running game, Irish have a bread and butter and just an identity that we really haven't seen since Gasp, Gagme, when they made the BCS title game with that bruising defense led by Matt Titeo. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coach, uh, your thoughts on this game? Well, um, this game thoroughly impressed me, especially Brandon Wimbush and his ability just to completely dissect the, the, the Trojans and, you know, and watching this and, and kind of paying uh, closer attention to this game than I did the Michigan-Penn State game, I'll be honest there. But um, just seeing how this offense has progressed and, you know, looking at my Georgia Bulldogs and how we were able to stop this offense is even more impressive um, now that you look at it, we were able to go to South Bend and shut down this offense. And I think, Matt, we're the only team that's essentially shut them down, not not just beating them, but, you know, just shutting yeah, them down. You completely. held them 19 points. I mean, they, they've been scoring a ton of points on everybody. And I keep thinking, okay, it's just a fluke. When they play a real team, well, they played a real team, and they got worse for the real team that they played against. And uh, I, I was thoroughly impressed with, with everything they were doing. It just seemed like everything was clicking. Wimbush, you know, Wimbush was in such command of that offense. It was it was impressive. Yeah. Well, um, uh, elsewhere in the Pac-12, UCLA gets a much-needed win over a completely depleted Oregon team at home, 31-14. to 14. Uh, Josh Rosen gets a little bit back, more back on track with two touchdowns through the air. Uh, Washington State shut out Colorado 28-0. Um, Luke Falk, only 197 yards, but did have three scores. Um, Arizona State, though, Josh, um, they keep on their winning ways. And their de- they, what I'm most impressed by is their defense. They held Utah to 10 points. Yeah, this is two weeks in a row. Well done, Bluetooth. And I think a lot of it has to do with – yeah, they, they run that last year. They ran that crazy blitz every time, get to the quarterback or bust. And I think they're just playing smarter. They're, they're not selling out as much. It's making it much, much easier for the secondary. But four picks, held Huntley, Huntley to 155 yards. They only had two sacks. I think they're just – Honestly, playing smarter, but something's in the water in Arizona. The Sun Devils, four and three, looking pretty good. Arizona Wildcats, five and two, winners of three straight. And Khalil Tate taking the country by storm. And Northern Arizona Lumberjacks, five and two, four and oh, in their conference. Somebody check the Colorado River because there's something in the wells right now. Well, how did Graham switch from T-Mobile to, to Verizon? That's why <laughs> he's have it's more reliable network. He's able to actually hear his coaches in the in the press box now. 
I mean, there you have it. Uh, the Territorial Cup this year might be the uh, de facto Pac-12 South championship game. Oh, I wouldn't count out USC still. Um, yeah. Still, still wouldn't do that. They're sitting pretty at 4-1 and one in conference. True. But, you no, know, they still have to go to Arizona State, uh, I believe, this week on a Friday night. Um, yeah. Which, you know, could be a little tricky. But speaking of Arizona, they won an absolutely wild one in double OT over Cal. Cal covered, though, so I got the win on that. <laughs> um, but... You know, Khalil Tate, another, you know, third straight week. He is the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. 303 total yards and three touchdowns in an absolutely wild one. But, um, well, know. I got a question for Coach about Khalil Tate. Um, what was he doing and or not doing all through camp and into the first few weeks of the season that Rich Rod had him riding the pine? Ooh, I don't know. Maybe he just – maybe he was banged up. Maybe he just didn't quite grasp the offense. Maybe maybe he just didn't perform in training camp, and maybe it took him riding the pine for the first part of the season, and, you know, then he got his opportunity and it woke him up. Maybe that's – you know, that's what I would guess. Well. Maybe – I would guess that he was probably beat up and didn't perform. Well, let's head to the SEC finally. Um, not a lot of close ones here in the SEC this weekend, but uh, the biggest game was LSU at Ole Miss. And LSU comes away with a victory 40-24, to 24, but uh, the big, the bigger loss for Ole Miss, though, Coach, it wasn't just losing the game, but it was losing Shea Patterson for the rest of the season. Yeah, um, that their little flicker of – their little flicker of hope just went away. Um and the reason they lost 40-24, uh, first things first, they were wearing those Kansas-style helmets with the weird, like, Kansas font on them. Uh, that's, you know, they shouldn't do that. They should just stick with their script old Miss if they're going to wear those powder blue helmets. Otherwise, they look like Kansas. And uh, that didn't, that surely didn't help. But uh, Darius Geis, man, he, uh, that's the story of this game, 276 yards and a touchdown. Um, Danny Etling threw for two, 200 yards and two more touchdowns, and breaking LSU's defense was all over the place. And I get it. Ole Miss ain't that good. Uh, they're especially not that good um, if Shea Patterson's not under center. So um, that certainly didn't help. Um, man, Daryl Williams also rushed for 103 yards and, uh, and had 105 yards receiving. Uh, so not only the, the running back core for LSU had a – monster day uh, as far as I'll get the uh, total rushing yards there for you here in just a second. Um, if you look at their team stats, um, their overall rushing yards, uh, LSU rushed for 393 on 55 carries. Um, and uh, Ole Miss, ouch, 3 of 12 on third down. Uh, turnovers, they had uh, three interceptions. Uh, penalties, they actually won the penalty battle, which is, which is kind of odd. Uh, They're pretty even in passing in total yards, though, 593 to, th- to 347. Um, Ole Miss, just a lot of those yards were empty yards. But, um, I mean, it's just, you know, Darius Geis is the story of this game. Uh, he just ran all over Ole Miss. And, uh 
he's really just kind of put LSU back in the picture a little bit and, and made took a lot of the heat off Ed Orgeron. And maybe Ed Orgeron has some things figured out. Maybe Troy was more of a wake-up call than it was uh, a trend of how LSU football was going. LSU's still relatively young. Let's keep this in mind. Yeah, they um, are. They're still relatively young. And, and they're like this Florida State team. They're going to struggle at times because they have a lot of youth. They have well, a few playmakers and a lot of youth. But I think they're actually starting to really buy into Matt Canada's offense. They are. They, they and, really are. And, and that's making a big difference. It's complex, too. Um, it's not easy. So it's uh, something they're starting to buy into. But really the, the, the biggest surprise of the weekend in the SEC was Mississippi State-Kentucky and how – just how dominant Mississippi State was. Uh, you know, Kentucky was a team that was impressing. Um, they lost – they took one on the chin, 45-7. to seven. Um, Mississippi State's defense um, coming into the game was 110th in the nation uh, or coming in the season, really. Or They hadn't played much defense. Let's just put that out there. Um, they had 441 total yards of offense. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald had 270 and three touchdowns in the, through the air. Uh, he also led all rushers. He had 115 and became the sixth SEC quarterback to rush for over 2,000 career yards. So yeah, but- I smell a pop quiz. <laughs> um, but uh, just abysmal game for for Kentucky just really surprising just how well they were playing uh, coming up this point of the season they were kind of the de facto number two team in the the SEC East even you know they were playing they were playing better ball than Tennessee Florida Vanderbilt and Missouri yeah well fortunately for Missouri they had Idaho this weekend so they drew Lockett to throw up for 467 yards and six scores. And they um, still gave up 21 <laughs> to the Vandals. Yeah, that's not great. But um, Auburn uh, Auburn dispatched Arkansas relatively easy, 52 to 20. Yeah, Malzahn's um, on the hot seat after that one. He, did, he didn't score 60, so he's on the hot seat. <laughs> um, and Alabama obviously just, you know, uh, it's it's uh, Nick Saban's but, not Nick Saban's still not happy, but they won thirty one to seven. There, here, here's a story from the game. This is forty five to seven. You're thinking, okay, they just cruised, but Jalen Hurts got pulled. There's no re, there's no there, all the other starters were in. There's no way he was getting rested. Jalen Hurts was struggling early on. It was it was seven nothing for the better part of the first half. Uh, they went in. They scored two quick touchdowns right before half. They went in twenty one to seven, but Jalen Hurts got pulled. Real and early. Tagovailoa looked good too, and Tagovailoa looked good. So there could be a potential quarterback controversy, and in, in, in Alabama Crimson Tide land. And uh, personally, if you're asking me, I think Tagovailoa is the better all-around quarterback. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts. There's some things that he does that Tagovailoa can't on the ground, especially. But Hurts is just Tagovailoa was a was a more effective runner in this game, though. I, mean, I know, which is odd, but I, I think if you were to compare both of them, I think Hertz would be the better runner, but Tagovailoa is the better all-around guy. And I think Tagovailoa's all-around game allows him better running lanes because he's such a threat, such more of a threat throwing the ball than Hertz is. I think that opens a lot of things up for him. But, I mean, in this game, though, I mean, they held Tennessee to 108 total yards and seven first downs. 
Oh, yeah. Other than the quarterback getting pulled, that was literally the only story. Um, They had to try to manufacture a story about Saban and his halftime interview with uh, Allie LaForce. Mm -hmm. That was funny. That was funny. funny. He's like, I'm just trying to keep you happy. I'm just trying to be nice to you. (laughs) Like, I'm pissed. I'm just trying to be nice to you. So, well, Josh, you got any thoughts on any of those SEC games? Yeah, just circling back to the old Miss game. If you're going to dress like Kansas, you've got to give up hilarious stats like Kansas. So I'll let you decide which one is more hilarious. Danny Eatley, 200 yards on nine completions. That's a 22.22222 average per completion. Or Darius Geis, 276 on 22 carries, a 12.54545454 average. So which one is more hilarious? I think it's the passing numbers. I mean, <laughs> nine completions for 200 yards, that's that, that's and Two of them were touchdowns. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I think that is going to just about do it for us this evening, gentlemen. Uh, Josh, any final thoughts here on week eight? Yeah, shout out to uh, Army six and two, and barring getting to go to a New Year's Group of Five champion, highest ranked team bowl, uh, they will be heading to the Armed Forces Bowl. So the first bowl eligible and bowl accepted bid in the country belongs to the Black Knights. They are five and zero at home and giving the cadets some really fun games. Last two home wins both required overtime. Coach, any final words from you? Yeah, I hope the idiots that were making death threats towards Jim McElwain uh, find their justice at some point. Um, as much as I hate Florida, I would never wish any sort of ill will um, on the safety of anybody associated with the University of Florida. Um, I just wish uh, athletic failure on the Gators. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's a serious matter going on right now. There's some serious things going on in Gainesville. And, you know, you just feel for McElwain and his family having to deal with all these death yeah. threats. You know, at the end of the day, it's just football. and We have fun with, with it. And it's supposed to be a fun game and escape from reality. So I hate to see them going through all of that. Um, they definitely don't deserve it. Even as bad as they play at times, they don't deserve it. Definitely not. And uh, for me, shout out to Jeff Tedford in Fresno State. Uh, they be they absolutely took the wood to San Diego State this past weekend, um, and twenty seven to three. Don't look now, Fresno State four and zero in the Mountain West, um, and they are on top of the West in the Mountain West. So you know, a quick turnaround there for the Bulldogs. So um, yeah, nice, nice win for them. On the flip side. San Diego State, highly ranked. They had to think that they were in the driver's seat with Central Florida and South Florida having tough games as well as a head-to-head. I'm sure the Aztecs thought they were going to make one of those big-time New Year's bowl games as the group of five highest-ranked team lost to Boise. I'm wondering if they felt a little deflated and, and were just a step or two slow and Fresno took full advantage. Uh, I mean, something like that happened because that did not look like the San Diego State team that we have all come to know and love. No. So. Football's not a pity party. I'm not no. I'm not making excuses. Fresno took full advantage, as they should. 
uh, when you've got the foot on someone's throat, keep pressing, and that's what Edford's team did. Absolutely. I mean, giving up only three points to a very potent rushing attack with Rashad Penny and at all there. I mean, that was quite impressive. Uh, you know, Rashad Penny only had 69 yards in this game. So, um, anyhow, that's going to do it for us here today on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up in the second city, Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor saying so long and see you next time. The Leo Motion College Football Podcast. It's Florida week. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.